Welcome to a fantastic word from Pastor Marcus Dunham, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. All right, guys. Well, listen, let's jump into the word. Y'all ready? Let's do it. We are going to be in the book of Luke. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, will be in chapter 10. And the title of uh, the message tonight is Important Lessons from Mary and Martha. Important Lessons from Mary and Martha. Now, I, uh, I chose... Uh, when I chose the characters for, uh, for today and I was preparing my message, Pastor Ron normally, you know, he's been doing um, a series on women, and I actually did not have that in, um, uh, in, in mind when I was preparing, but it's cool that it worked out that way. So um, uh, I won't be looking at it from the angle that he, that he does, but we will be talking about two women that are in the Bible um, and an encounter that they had with Jesus. So to give us some perspective real fast before we jump in uh, on where we are in the life of Jesus, um, we are about five to six months out from the crucifixion and the passage that we're going to be reading today. So uh, Jesus, he's getting closer and nearing to that day. And uh, Jesus has finished his ministry in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel, and, and he's going to be leaving that place for the last time. He's, and, and on his way, the Bible says that he is heading towards Jerusalem. And after Jerusalem, he would, he, he would head over to Perea, which was the other side of the Jordan. He would do some ministry there and then head back for what would be his triumphal entry and then into um, his last week. And so, uh, but as he's traveling down from Galilee, he has to go through Samaria. And as he travels through Samaria, um, uh, this is around uh, uh, chapter 9 and in chapter 10, we see Jesus doing some continued ministry there. And there are some notable things that happen. Uh, you know, uh, the cleansing of the 10 lepers happen as he's traveling through Samaria. Um, uh, uh, the 72 uh, disciples that he would send out into cities and to towns and to neighborhoods to minister and to share the gospel, to share the good news. And then also uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan as he's traveling into Judea. Um, all those things are happening. And he is entering into Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, and also where we're going to be, which is Bethany. And um, as he is heading in to Judea, uh, he, uh, um, he stops in Bethany, which is where Mary and Martha reside. So um, that is kind of where we're at to give you an idea. And, um, and, and after this, again, he would head to Jerusalem. So we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 38, and we're going to take this one verse at a time. And so let's go ahead. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Again, this says that when he, whenever him, when Jesus was on their way, they were on their way to Jerusalem and they made a stop um, there in Bethany to see Martha. So um, when you read through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus, um, or uh, Mary, Martha, and they also, Mary and Martha have a brother named Lazarus, which is the same Lazarus that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, uh, they were all very close friends of Jesus. He cared about them a lot. 
In fact, uh, John 11, there's three different scriptures that talk about how much Jesus loved them and how much they loved Jesus. And so there was this, no, there, there was this close relationship that they had with one another. And um, it seems like Jesus visited them often. Uh, you can find, uh, you'll see it input in there, Jesus visiting Mary and Martha. And um, you can imagine Martha, like any person, knowing that Jesus was coming to her house, man, she wanted things to be perfect. You know, she was going to make sure that everything was right. I, I couldn't imagine any of us being any different especially the moms, you know, and the wives that are here. You know, my wife, anytime anybody comes over, man, she gets up. Next thing you know, man, we're cleaning everything. I'm like, they're just dropping something off, baby. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, I, I imagine, you know, that Martha was the same way. But anytime that Jesus showed up at their place, it always seemed that he had people with them. And this is kind of interesting because Jesus it says that he showed up with his disciples. Now, as I mentioned, as they traveled through Samaria, Jesus sent out 72 of his disciples into Samaria. And so going into Judea, it is reasonable to think that he could have had up to anywhere from 30 to 50 to 70 people with him. Now, some of those people might have been from that area, so they may have dispersed and went home. But you can imagine that Jesus had a lot of people with him showing up at Martha's house, which I imagine that Jesus probably sent some disciples ahead to let them know, you know, at least a full days in advance to let them know, hey, listen, we're coming. Uh, and so uh, I just found that interesting. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people uh, to prepare for. And so Jesus, um, um, he had a lot of people that were with him that they had to prepare for. But the village of, of Bethany um, uh, was a little less than two miles away from Jerusalem where Jesus was going next. And so that's to kind of give us a little background. Uh, let's go ahead and jump to verse 39. So Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Mary, when you, whenever we read about Mary, this Mary, often we find her in this posture, in this, in this position where she's at Jesus' feet and listening. You know, usually it's either her or John, one of the two, usually sitting at their feet or sitting at his feet. And this was a posture that would, would have been recognizable in this time. It was normal to see this because it was a student's posture. It was a posture that a student would sit at the feet of their rabbi. That whenever a rabbi would teach, whenever there was somebody who was, who was learning, they would sit at their feet and learn. That, that, that was a posture, and that was the posture that she took with her rabbi, Jesus, uh, her teacher. And, um, and she sat there, and she, it, it, was a, it was a posture of humility there, taking every word that he had to say. And I just love that, that picture of, of us you know, spending time in the Word of God at the feet of Jesus and allowing Him to speak to us in a posture of humility and allowing Him to, 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 uh, to, to give us a word to transform our life. Amen? Amen? While Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, while she was doing that, Martha was busy making all the preparations for Jesus and His entourage. He had a big group of people. 
Now, the text does not give any indication that Mary was being irresponsible, being neglectful, or lazy by spending time with Jesus and letting Martha do all the work, you know. Uh, It doesn't give that impression, you know. Uh, I think it's probably more that whenever they heard word, Mary probably spent a lot of time with Martha preparing. But when Jesus showed up and Jesus began to teach, she knew where she wanted to be. She was at the feet of Jesus. So more than likely, she was with Martha making preparations. But nonetheless, what Mary valued in that moment versus what Martha valued seemed to be completely different. We're going to read about it in just a second. But Mary valued spending time with Jesus, listening to every word. All her thoughts and actions were in Jesus and what he said. She simply wanted to be with him. Everything, all she wanted was to be, in, to, to be with Jesus. Everything that she sought for, what she wanted in that moment, all she wanted, wherever Jesus was, is where she wanted to be. So what about Martha? Let's read verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, hold on for a second. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. You know, I, I kind of put myself in the, in the scenario, you know, if I'm one of the disciples and, and Martha just walks up, you know, Jesus was probably teaching, you know, probably having a good time. And all of a sudden, Martha walks up. And I imagine that you could hear a pin drop. I mean, like, did she just talk to Jesus like that? <laughs> oh, snap. You know, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, you know, if we're honest, I mean, you know, that's probably what, you know, you know, you know what the situation was kind of like. You know, Martha had, you know, spent all this time getting things ready for Jesus and his followers and all the people that were with him. And to be fair... This is exactly what Jesus wanted. God, he, Jesus asked. He, he, he sent people forth. He wanted them to prepare for his followers and him. He, he wanted them to prepare. He wanted them to make preparations. He wanted them to do all the things. So she's not, it's not that she was doing anything wrong. She did exactly what Jesus wanted her to do. But the scriptures specifically said that Martha was distracted. She was distracted by her preparations. Everything she was doing, something of what she was doing was taking her away from something else. She was distracted. She, she, she was focused on what she was doing, almost obsessed with it. This means that her, her work and her preparation got in the way of what was important. Martha valued what she could do for Jesus. She wanted to please Jesus with how hard she was, with how hard she was working for him. All of her thoughts and actions were busy trying to earn the approval of Jesus. She was distracted by the work. She was working so hard and wanting to make sure she was wanted to make sure that she was going to make Jesus happy. But all of her work became a distraction. But it got to the point where she was wanting Jesus to condemn her sister for not helping Martha do what she was doing. 
I thought that was interesting. You know, we all get to a point of frustration. Let's all be honest. You know, we, we all get to a point of frustration where we, we're just, man, you know, you know, you know, you know, how come I got to do the dishes every night? Okay, maybe, never mind. Maybe, maybe, maybe that doesn't happen in your home. Never mind. You know, how come I got to do all the laundry? You know, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, how come, how come I got to be left with all the work? But it's completely different whenever you work up enough frustration to walk up to the boss to walk up to the master, to the Lord, and then begin to tell him what to do. I mean, what would make Martha, what would make Martha go up to Jesus and get him to tell Mary what to do? What, what would give her, what would cause her to do that? Was it frustration, anger, resentment? I'm sure we could probably come up with some ideas or some, some reasons, what, you know, what brought her to that moment. You know, what would cause her to have these feelings? And why didn't Mary have these feelings? How come Mary didn't have these thoughts? How come she wasn't wrestling? How come she wasn't concerned with these things like Mary were? One simple reason, uh, a, a, you know, a possibility could be their temperaments. I think Martha probably could have had a temperament where she is, she is worrisome and, and concerning and she, and she thinks about those things a lot. You know, I, I would imagine that that could be true. But even more, I think it could have been where she might have been drawing her value. Maybe this was more about where she was drawing her value from. It is possible that Martha was drawing her value from what she could do for Jesus, while Mary drew her value from Jesus himself. Amen. To say that again, it's possible that Mar Martha drew her value from what she could do for Jesus, while Mary drew her value from Jesus herself. Mary's value was tied to Jesus himself and every word that came from his mouth. Now, this is not just about serving Jesus. Let's even just removing out of it. If it, if it wasn't for Jesus, it could have been for, every, for, for anything, but her value was in what she could, her, her, she was finding her value in what she could do, what she could do, how she could earn approval. Like I said, Mary's value was tied to Jesus himself and every word that came from his mouth. Where Jesus was, she was. Mary understood that her value was in Christ. Her value was in Christ. Her significance was in Christ. Her security was in Christ. Her acceptance, her approval, her joy, all were wrapped up in Christ. In other words, her identity who she is, was found in Christ. Now, I want to stop for a moment to talk about these two words, in Christ. It's one of the more fascinating words, uh, 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 duo of words that we find in Scripture. Paul used these words more exclusively. We find them in Paul's letters, and he uses them a lot to describe the position that we hold in our salvation through Jesus. When we talk about in Christ, um, 
Let me read a few scriptures to you real fast. Uh, uh, you, you could just listen to them. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You might have heard this before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 6, 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And I can keep going, but there's a pattern there. You know, we are new creatures in Christ. We are justified in Christ. We are no longer condemned. There is no condemnation in Christ. And we are alive to God in Christ. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? Because there was something that Mary got that Martha was missing. Mary found her value in Jesus himself. What does that mean? Well, in Christ means to be hidden, to be hidden in Jesus. Now, I know then you ask, well, what does that mean? You know, you know what, what are we hiding from something? Are we, what does it mean to be hidden? Well, before I explain, Galatians 2.20, I think, does a good job of describing. We're going to put it on the screen. Galatians 2.20, uh, this is what it says. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He says that it's not me that's alive on the inside anymore. It's Jesus. He's on the inside, on, on the inside of me. And the life that I live here in this world, the life that I live now here on this earth, I live by faith in God. It's by faith. And this, this idea of being hidden in Christ is that we are found in him. In other words, our life and who we are is placed inside of Jesus. It's inside of him. We are hidden from the world's way of doing things and the world's way of thinking, from our past. You see, the world is out there. Our past is out there, and we are here in Christ, not the church, in him. Our formal way of life is out there, and our new way of life is here in Christ. Out there, we are exposed and subject to God's wrath towards sin. When we're out there, it, it, means that, it means that when God sees us, he sees our sin. That's what he sees. He can't not see it. But in Christ, he doesn't see it. He doesn't see our sin. We're hidden in him. He doesn't see the things that have, that, that have kept us separate from God for so long. That is gone. He doesn't see that out, outside of Christ. It's all he sees. But in him, he sees his son and his blood that covers us. In Christ, in him, we are covered by the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God. That is what God sees. That's what it means to be hidden in him. It, in him, we are justified 
just as if we have never sinned. That is still amazes me. I love it. In him, we are new creatures. Our new life with Jesus is hidden in Christ along with our identity, with who we truly are. Before Christ, our identity many times were found in what we can do and what we couldn't do. Family's expectations, expectations at work, expectations with the people around us, our performance and, and how well we're doing, how well we're not doing. And, and when, our, when our identity and who we are is tied to those things, it's a roller coaster ride up and down. But in Christ, our identity is not, is no, is not in these things, but our identity is in the work that Christ did on the cross. It's done, it's finished, it's complete. In the same way, being who we are doesn't change, doesn't shake, because our position with God cannot change. It's impossible. He's done it. It's done. It is finished. My who I am is in him. You see, in Christ, we are new, meaning that no longer, we are no longer defined by our past, but by our future in Christ. In Christ, we are forgiven. It's no longer about what we did, but what he did on the cross. In Christ, we are loved, not for what we do, but for who we are. When we come into the family of God, we become children of God, and he becomes our father, and he loves us for no other reason other than he is our father. Because Jesus went to the cross, God gets to love us. He gets to. It's what he wants to do. He has the privilege of simply loving us for who we are. In Christ, we are chosen, not due to our accomplishments, not because we amount to something that God enjoys, but because of what Jesus accomplished. God can choose you. He can choose you because of what Jesus did. In him, we are secure, not because of our position in life, but because of our position in him. We are significant, not because of how important we are in life, but because of how important Jesus is. We are accepted, not because of what we can do, but because of what he did. And we are valued, not for what we bring to Christ, not because of what we can bring to the table, but because of what Christ has already brought for us. You see, in Christ, everything is settled. And this is what Mary, Mary, found her, who she was, was found in Jesus. She sat at his feet wanting to glean and grow for him. You see, our identity can never be wrapped up in what we do. It can never be wrapped up in our performance, in anything like that. But it, only, it can only be wrapped up in who we are. And if our value is tied to our performance, then we will always find ourselves frustrated and upset as Martha was. Why? Because we will always fall short. Man, isn't that just a, just a humbling truth? <laughs> we just fall short. You know? The best we try, we're still going to fall short. Nevertheless, if our value 
is found in Christ, then our confidence can never be shaken. Why? Because Jesus never falls short. The word sin means to miss the mark, to, to, to fall short. And guess what? Jesus never sinned. He never did. Our, our position in him will never change. Performance-based identity is about perfection, which is absolutely impossible. And I imagine Martha trying to get things perfect for Jesus and being frustrated because she's being left alone to do all these things. But the truth is that we can never be perfect enough. We can never amount to an idea of perfection that we may try to set up for ourselves. Therefore, we will always fall short. Our confidence will fall short. Our security will fall short. Our significance, etc., and so on. But grace is different. Grace, grace-based identity is about being perfected in Christ. It's about being perfected in Him. It's not about doing. It's not about making or, or trying to amount to something, but rather it's about what is already done. It's about what's already finished. And I know in our culture, this, is, this, goes, this goes against how, how, how culture sees things, but this is the reality that, our, that, that grace provides us ground to stand on that is unshakable knowing that our confidence can be sure because of what Jesus did for us. While Martha worked to be valuable, Mary worked understanding her value. As we serve Jesus, we must do so understanding that we have already been validated. Our value is not determined by what we do or lack thereof and goes beyond serving. What, what, you know, as, as, as a spouse, as a, um, uh, in our jobs, in our businesses, um, in, you know, uh, as fathers and, and mothers and in and, and, and whatever area of life, we don't work to prove ourselves or to, or, to, or to be validated, but we do so from a place of validation that, 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 that you are enough because God, Jesus, He has taken care of it. It is finished. He has done it. Our value is not determined by what we do or lack thereof. Rather, our value is found in Christ and His finished work on the cross. The val- our value is found in the gospel. You see, the gospel is not just for our future. The gospel is not just to save us and to let us know that one day we will go to heaven, but it's also for right now, amen? The, rotten, the gospel reminds us that we are rooted in him. We are rooted in him. So how do we walk in this true identity in Christ? How do we walk that out? Well, let's look at what Jesus says in verse 41 and 42. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It will not be taken away from this one thing. She chose Jesus. How do we walk out our true identity in Christ? By abiding in Jesus. I'm going to jump to one, uh, another scripture real fast. 
John 15, verse 4 through 5. We've, many of you have heard this scripture. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That word abide means to stay. It means to live, to continue in, to keep on keeping on, to remain unchanged, to remain there. Mary abided in Jesus. In other words, she was, she, whenever Jesus walked into the, to the house, when she was working, she was preparing, but when Jesus walked into her home, she dropped everything. And she, when he started speaking, she sat at her feet. She sat at his feet. Just as Mary did, we must spend time with Jesus. We must carve out time and invite Jesus into our home. We must sit at his feet and glean from him through his word. And, um, and Jesus expects us to serve. He wants us to serve. He, he, he wanted Mary to serve, and she did. He, he expects us to do what he has called us to do. And, and those things, God, you know, he, he, he wants us to do those things. That is expected. But when Jesus walked into her home, things began to change for her. She positioned things. Nothing can take the place of spending time with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Nothing can take the place of spending time with Jesus. As I've got a couple minutes here, a few takeaways. Number one, your identity is found in Christ. Who you are, who we are is found in him. Not in what we do, not in how well we're doing, how, how, how well we're not doing, not the position that we hold, whether, you know, whether position we don't hold, regardless of what is happening around us, whatever is happening in our life, whatever is happening in the moment doesn't change who you are because that is wrapped up in Jesus. Let us, let us fight against the thoughts that want to tell us that we're not good enough, to tell us that things are not, you know, that whatever the devil is speaking to us, to, to fight those thoughts because that is not from God, but from the enemy trying to tear down our identity. I believe that, that the devil will always look for an opportunity to attack our identity. He will always look for an opportunity to tear us down when it comes to our identity, while God is always looking to build that up, to remind us of who we are in him. Secondly, Jesus gives grace in your lowest moments. You know, I think about Martha, you know, and her going up to Jesus and, and telling him and getting upset and allowing her frustration to get out. You know, I imagine that when she thought about that a few moments later, she probably was probably, she was probably embarrassed by that. You know, she probably thought, man, what was I thinking? <laughs> Golly. But you know, Jesus he didn't kill her for it. You know, he wasn't judging her for it. His response was, Martha, Martha. You know, I, I sense love and tenderness in his voice whenever I read that. And I believe that God has the same, the same, um, uh, the same response to us in our low moments in life. In the times where we think back and that, man, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? What was I thinking? God said, yeah, yeah, it's all good. And listen, hey, he wasn't focused on the moment. 
I believe he was giving them grace, giving her grace to help her for the next time. You know, that's the last time we heard her say that in the scripture. <laughs> we didn't hear her do it again. And uh, I believe that Jesus wants the same for us. But you know, sometimes we never know what people around us are going through. And you know, sometimes we can provide a little extra grace when somebody has a moment of frustration, when someone has a moment of anger, when someone does something that is out, out of character, maybe they're having a bad day, maybe something has happened in their life, maybe something has happened and maybe we can be the ones to provide some grace like Jesus provides grace for us, amen? amen. And then number three, nothing else takes the place of spending time with Jesus. Amen. Let us take a look at our, at our, at our time. You know, um, Martha, I imagine that she spent time with Jesus, but what I see there, the word distraction sticks out. And he was, it was almost as, as, almost as if everybody was there listening to what Jesus was saying while Martha was busy working, working, working. And while God has called us to serve, it can never replace our time with Jesus. You know, God, that is where God is always going to build our identity, to build up who we are, and to remind us and to give us a word for that day, to give us bread to last for the day. Let us remind ourselves to find time to spend with him. Amen? Amen. Thanks again for joining us for this incredible word from Pastor Marcus Dunham. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well... Receive more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.